0: Welcome to the Straight White Male podcast. I'm your host, Chris Furr, pastor at Covenant Christian Church and author of the book Straight White Male, published by Westminster John Knox Press. This podcast is a place for expanding the conversation around race, gender, sexuality, faith and identity. Along the way, I'm talking to the contributors from my book as well as other voices who can help us think critically and faithfully about a more just life together. Today my guest is Terry Horde Owens, General Minister and President of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ in the United States and Canada. Terry spent 20 years in the corporate world before serving as pastor of First Christian Church in Downers Grove, Illinois, and then serving for 10 years as Dean of Students at the University of Chicago Divinity School. In 2017, Terry was elected as the first black woman to serve as the head of a mainline denomination. And in this interview, you'll hear some references to various organizations within the denomination, some church speak that I should perhaps explain so that they make sense. For example, Obra Hispania is the connection of Hispanic and bilingual congregations and pastors in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And the National Convocation is an expression of the church that works toward racial justice and other issues pertinent to African-American congregations and pastors throughout the denomination. And one last bit of church nerdery, A sense of the assembly resolution is a statement voted on at our national denominational gathering by voting delegates, but it's a statement and not a bonding policy for congregations within the Christian church. And so with all that said, let's hear from Terry and keep your phone nearby because you'll want to rewind and catch the gems that Terry drops along the way.
1: Well, I identify as a straight black woman.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So, you know, when I was growing up, um straightness was not only the norm but no other orientation or sexual identity was even spoken of right it just Mm. wasn't you you didn't talk about it it was um people use pretty derogatory you know words to describe people who were either homosexual or um, there was no real understanding of, of, of transgender. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just, a, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, a pretty unenlightened time around those issues. My, my blackness, however, was, has always been a big part of my identity. My grandfather uh, was um, Baptist minister mm. of probably the most progressive Baptist church. In my little town of Terre Haute, Indiana, he was responsible for leading a lot of efforts to desegregate public facilities, led the Mm -hmm. NAACP, had a sister relationship with a church in Africa. My dad's a black studies professor. So my shaping of that identity as a little black girl was I can't remember when I wasn't really clear about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, When I understood that it that it was going to cause me problems i think the first encounter was in fifth grade Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i was in a um a quote-unquote gifted class and i was i went from a school elementary school that was about 40 percent black to being one of two black kids in this little program Mm -hmm. Um, and we were doing a black history play not a black history an american history play and uh some a little boy in the corner uh, another friend overheard him say, "Well, I think we should have Terry and Susan, the other black girl in this class, be slaves in the play, picking cotton."
0: Oh my goodness!
1: And um, I, and I laugh about this now because I'm not even sure where I found the language. Um, mm. But I said, "I said, David, if you want, uh, if you want some cotton picked, you better pick it your damn self." <laughs> 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 oh, I love it. So and I, I got in trouble, right? My parents oh. came to me. My mother was horrified that I'd use this language. Mm-hmm. My dad sort of reaffirmed we've put her in this place where she's one of two black kids. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to understand what's happening with her. The next year in that same class, there was another altercation of boy versus girl sixth grade. We got to the stump on the playground first, and this is our place. And Uh, a little boy who was actually of Syrian descent said, well, I said, well, this is America. We follow the rules. This is a free country. And he said, what do you know about freedom? If it weren't for us white people, you niggers would still be slaves. And then he, I said, do you want to say that again to my face? Mm -hmm. And he walked up and I wore um, uh, wire rimmed glasses at the time Mm -hmm. he walked up and he said, I said, nigga. And he slapped my face. broke shattered my glasses so those two episodes and i have told those stories like in story slams and things like that Mm -hmm. i think first were my were they were actually for me very violent encounters Mm
2: -hmm. with
1: the fact that someone saw me as both other and in a deficient way disrespected Mm -hmm. me and then also i was physically assaulted in the sixth grade so i i think those things have 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 that experience has really never left me. Mm-hmm. And um, and my dad was always really good about making sure that I understood that being a black woman was something to be proud of, but that I would have to be smarter and stronger mm-hmm. and that even some black men might have problems with me being strong and smart, mm-hmm. you know? So, so the womanhood there, um, you know, he, yeah. he, he said, they're, they're going to be g- guys may have a hard time with you. Mm-hmm. Um and so those, those kind of complex shapings but um those are you know ear- earliest memories of um understanding myself both as black and both as female as something that would being female was going to require me to be strong and smart.
0: Mm. I appreciate you sharing those things and no doubt you know um traumatic events that you've had to unpack mm-hmm. over the years and I mean I think they're important for uh those of us who don't live through experiences like that
2: mm-hmm.
0: um to understand um I guess the commonality that exists. Yeah. I mean so many um uh I've done a handful of these interviews now and um every person that I've talked to has who has existed in one of these marginalized identities has had some um uh, poignant, painful story to tell, and um, I think, uh, in, unless we take time to listen uh, to mm-hmm, the stories okay. of our neighbors and the things that shaped mm-hmm. and formed them, um, you know, uh, we don't have the capacity. We don't grow our our empathy, our sympathy mm-hmm. um, for the, for our neighbors and mm-hmm. for the things that they're going through. I mean, I. And proud as a disciple to say that, that you're the first uh, black woman to lead uh, a mainline denomination. So obviously, all of the things, all of the, the formation and the mm-hmm. uh, potential that you uh, possessed as that young girl in that gifted class has, uh, is now um, uh, blooming in a beautiful mm-hmm. way that's serving all of us. I'm wondering how as you've navigated um church world and especially navigating your role as general minister and president, um, you know, you talked about those experiences shaping you, forming you, informing mm-hmm. how you go about things. I wonder how how you draw on those. It's a different world so to to some degree yeah. that we live <laughs> in now, It's some ways, uh some ways not as much. We're right, reverting right. a lot to some um uh, patterns and some language that um maybe some of us thought we had left behind um Mm. but i wonder how those experiences translate now how what your experience is like now Mm -hmm. as a black woman um operating in church circles that are still often very white and very patriarchal
1: um yeah you know i'm I'm the second woman Mm -hmm. uh, and as you said first person of color period to lead the disciples and i was shocked when i Realized that I was the first black woman to lead a mainline denomination.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think even historical, I think one of the historical black denominations has now had a woman to be president of their college of bishops, but mm-hmm. uh, that's probably as close as that, but I was elected even before those things happened. Um, I think one of the things that has really struck me is the expectation that um there um and people say to me all the time oh i was there when you were elected i'm so proud I was mm-hmm. all. it was mm-hmm. such a wonderful moment for our church but in some circles and with some men and i'll have to say particularly with straight white men in our mm-hmm. church
2: mm-hmm. um
1: the assumption has been that i would step into existing norms of leadership and and
2: mm.
1: and um not even behavior but uh values leadership style and Uh, and that the system that existed right yeah that i'm just going to be a black person inhabiting this spot within the same system Mm. um the Mm. the orientation process involved meeting with the heads of all of our general ministries. And in in most cases, I sort of felt, it. and, and there's something to be said, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of years as an IT consultant, so I'm used to documenting the current state, right? right. Before you do it, you, documenting the current state. So there's some aspect of that to any orientation. But in many cases, I did get the sense that, well, this is how we do it. Mm-hmm. And previous GMPs have done this, mm-hmm. and people have done that. Um, And so I've really felt that sense of um, having to be okay with the fact that my leadership style might be different, my perspective Mm -hmm. on things might be different, my perspective on when to speak and how to speak and maybe when not to speak is different. Mm -hmm. My tolerance uh, for tension and conflict is probably a little higher Mm -hmm. than other people's. Mm -hmm. I I don't see... I because I live in it,
0: <laughs> right? I, that's right. I,
1: I I live in it. I've always had to define myself in the midst of it. So mm-hmm. for people not to agree for me is not a threat to unity. It mm-hmm. simply means that that's we have to use the tools that we have as disciples to move through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people have been a little um, off put by that, quite honestly, in some cases. Wow. And and I use the phrase I didn't come to colorize an ex- a system that mm. that we've already named as being um, racist in many ways, and also unjust uh, for women. Disciples have been ahead of the curve, but we still have places where um, women aren't acknowledged in leadership. Mm -hmm. We still have racial divisions within our church. We still have, we have congregations who've left our movement because they didn't, Agree with a a sense of the assembly resolution that is actually not even binding on everybody. But the fact that we discuss being open and affirming has been offensive to some. And so when we disagree, some people will name that as sin, as opposed to saying, we disagree here and so how can we move so so mm-hmm. i've i i know and i joke and say let's see if i'm reelected
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but um but i know that my my um my way of operating and moving through the world and speaking my mind on things um and inhabiting the space as a black woman is different from what has been and it should be because i'm a black yeah. woman i'm not right. i'm not sharon watkins i'm i'm not mm-hmm. dick ham i have mm-hmm. great relationships with those two people i I chat with them regularly, I seek mm-hmm. their counsel, but I respond and process things differently and so my my perspective on what's necessary for the church is is different because that's who I am, both in right. in an embodied way and and even theologically who I am has shaped uh things differently. And and some people in the church embrace it, a great many people um like the fact that I'm probably a little bit more vocal about things. Yes. And, And other people are, hmm, Mm. Um, and so there's all those things, but it's just, it's just who I am. And Mm. I, in lots of spaces will just name you elected a black woman, this, and and you elected this black woman, another black woman may inhabit it differently, but Mm. you've got to let, if you believe God called me, you've got to really Mm. let all that God made in me uh, come to the fore and, and lead, hold me accountable. Absolutely but not in ways that say your blackness or your expression of your femininity or even an expression of your straightness is, is a negative thing. As long as you're not, um, you know, our, our liberties don't uh, extend to the point where we get to destroy other people. I'm a firm believer of that. Um, mm-hmm. So just because you're uncomfortable, and, and and as you know, tearing down some of these structures, it's uncomfortable for people when we talk about it. Absolutely. It is. so.
0: What a wonderful reflection and answer. I'm so grateful for that. I I think what you're onto there is something that's so important and um I think I don't know. I I, I don't I can't I don't have much experience outside of other traditions, but I think um I think sometimes our uh relatively low theology of ordination and uh leadership uh gets us in trouble because we feel like whoever we call to lead um has to um has to shape themselves in a particular way to fit this sort of like democratic expectation of what everybody else thinks you should be or how you should lead whereas mm-hmm. sometimes i think in big ways, at the general ecclesial level and all the way down to the local church, sometimes if we would just trust the people that we call to lead to lead and bring the fullness of themselves to that position, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. our churches would be in a whole lot better places. And I think it's important too, because in local congregations, I mean, we've experienced this in our congregation as we have grown more uh, racially diverse, people with different backgrounds, different identities, things, different things that have shaped them. Um, they do, uh, they come to a, a a body that does have like somewhat defined practices and an identity and systems of ways of doing things. Uh, but if we want to value those people and we want them to be part of our community and we want to be blessed by their presence, then we have to um you know drop this requirement that we have for assimilation that you have yes. to to leave the the distinct character of who you are at the door and match up with who we are already um
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and we we run the risk of missing so much
2: yeah, um yeah.
0: when we don't uh make sure that the people who come to us um also experience um the freedom to be who they are
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um, and to, to allow the rest of us to be blessed by what, what their unique identity is, how it helps us understand the image of Mm -hmm. God in them.
2: Right. Right. Um, Right.
1: I I think that that even that word assimilation uh, implies that there is a narrative or a norm, mm -hmm, right. Assimilating into what there's a, in order Mm -hmm. to be accepted, you must. And, you know, I, I grew up in that era. I, you know, was blessed to go to, to, you know, an an Ivy league school and um, affirmative action was, you know, I was part of those affirmative action babies and, Mm -hmm. and people would, would almost make you feel like the only reason that you're there is because of this or that. And you had to conduct and speak. um, And in order to be successful, you Mm know, uh, couldn't wear your hair a certain way. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, young men couldn't, you know, wearing dreads and locks. And twists Mm. uh when I was uh first coming out of school, no way I would have been able to get jobs in certain places if Mm. you if uh didn't have the freedom for those kinds of cultural um aesthetic expressions um that generations that have now that I see my own son uh being able uh to share and to speak and talk or or even to worship. I was in um a session with the biennial session of the convocation back in 2018. Bible study session. Um, the the speaker was a really entertaining preacher, homiletics professor, at Virginia Union Seminary. Just hilarious. And so wow. I'm in the front row, um, sitting next to other you know black disciples. We're clapping. We're just hitting each other on the shoulder. We're mm-hmm. it's it's if you saw us, you might think we were at a comedy show kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's it was mm-hmm. hilarious. It was, he was really inspiring, hilarious, you know, black church, you might applaud or stand up or say Mm -hmm. amen. And there was a young person who worked for one of our general ministries, young white man, happens to be straight, I know. And he said, Mm -hmm. wow, Terry, um, you were pretty animated in there. And I said, yeah, (laughs) I said, well, I said, this is the national convocation. This is the fellowship of black disciples And we were in Bible study with a a, a legendary uh, professor slash preacher. And that's how we respond in our spaces and in in many of our our churches. I said, so you just saw me in my context. I said, and where you usually see me is out amongst a predominantly white church. And so when I'm in other spaces, Mm-hmm. I will respect um, mm-hmm. the space or the style of worship or whatever. But what you saw was just as much me as when you see me, say, preaching at General Assembly or um, mm-hmm. going to a, a small, you know, I was in uh, a congregation in Chattanooga, Tennessee, large, big steeple church celebrating 150 years, pipe organ choir,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um my congregation that I grew up in had all kinds of music, but that wasn't the place to clap and stand up and shout. Yeah. Um, but when you see me and then you say, huh, that's different. You were different in that space. Why would you question that? Yeah. Why, why would you even question that? Why didn't you see or even pay attention to the fact that you were in space Mm -hmm. that you did not get to define that that you were a guest in that space. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was at home, you are not. And so I never Mm -hmm. question when, when I'm a guest in your space, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I I don't question it. I honor it and I respect it. And so I thought, wow, this is really interesting that this person saw me as being, Oh, she was a little different there and you know. it's just because you don't get to see my space the way I get to see yours
0: yeah i yes and um it's some to some degree it's a lot about control uh yeah, uh-huh. I, I i i think um you know my experience of um being in community being a guest in a space in a, mm-hmm. in a black church space as a seminarian um and feeling utterly out of control. I mean, my my first um, my first field education experience was, what was at my home church uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you know we decided on Wednesday, you know who was going to do what part in the service, mm-hmm. and <laughs> to depart from the bulletin was like you know uh, <laughs> departing from the roadmap. You might get lost. Um, and then I went to an African American context where. Um, you know, we decided, you know, five minutes before we walked out, who was going to do what thing. And, uh, you know, and, uh, the bulletin wasn't worth the paper it was printed on, you know? So, uh, so, um, so you can make a value judgment about that, right? It's easy to make a value judgment about that, but there, there is no value judgment to make. If you realize that the reason that you're clinging to one way over the other is because you want to feel in control.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, it's actually a profoundly formative spiritual experience, uh, to be reminded of, um, uh, that the spirit of God isn't controlled, uh, neatly in, in some way that's and right, that, that
2: that's right.
0: ha- having experiences that take you out of that, um, neatly defined sense of control okay. that we like to have, especially as straight white men, because we're taught that we c- we control everything right, that's how right. we're socialized exactly, right
1: exactly Exactly. so
0: uh it's uh it's uh really a gift if you can learn to see it that way um, but it yeah. is unsettling at the start yeah. to realize yeah, that that yeah. you're that you're not in control when that's the way you know you yeah, expect yeah, to yeah. feel right
1: i i remember when i was in uh i went to the university of chicago divinity school and you know your your final year the tradition used to be that you would preach uh, one time during uh, the weekly chapel service. And so I, my husband is a, a minister of uh, music and arts at a large Baptist church here in Chicago. He used mm-hmm. to serve my home disciples church, but when we came back to Chicago, he took this position and it's about 10,000 member congregation. And wow. so um, the normal uh, mode of worship in the chapel was an Episcopal hy- hymnal um, mm-hmm. And a pipe organ prelude, and you just sang hymns. And so I wanted to shake it up a little bit. And um, I asked my husband to come and to uh, lead worship. My husband is a degreed musician, classically trained vocalist, uh, but he grew up in a Pentecostal church. Yeah. Uh, and so he brought his keyboard and um, my good friend, Crystal Williams, who at the time was an associate regional minister, here in Illinois, Wisconsin, she's now regional minister in Tennessee. I said, mm-hmm. "Crystal, would you would you help Walter and sing and help lead the worship?" Well, once she started singing, there was a woman who got up and just walked out. <laughs> it, it was sort right. of like, "How how dare you like br- do this in this particular space?" And mm-hmm. and later we had an event at Disciples Divinity House, uh, the Chapel of the Holy Grail, and it was the hundred twenty fifth anniversary of the house, and we were invited to reflect on that space. And what I said was, you know, I have been in many worship services here where the music was unfamiliar. I know a lot of hymns, but uh, the music was not only uh, unfamiliar, but maybe even not preferable. I I play piano. I'm a trained classical pianist. I love a pipe organ, um, but that's not the only expression of worship that I know. I said, so there have been many times when I um, have had to uh, find my own handles to get to God. In mm. space that was that was culturally different from what I understood. And in as much as I know I have the capacity to do that, yeah. I'm offended when other people mm. don't respect the difference in which they inhabit, be it Black or Asian or Hispanic. Uh, I have the best time uh, at the Obra Hispana assemblies or in, in a celebration with Spanish-speaking congregations. Korean cultures really respect gospel music. Because mm-hmm. it, they, they um, are inspired by the story of struggle and mm-hmm. overcoming based on their history of occupation with Japan, right? So yeah. they, they respect those stories. And we have so much more in common across a broader spectrum if we would understand that as a church and, and learn to delight in one another, mm-hmm. whether we understand or like it or not. Um, just learn to delight. And, and people of color have to develop those abilities, right? We have to, right. because nine times out of ten, the environments in which we are inhabiting are not defined by our cultural norms. We in order to be successful, there's a there's a straight white male narrative that right. we have to learn how to speak that language and behave, or we're not going to be viewed as educated or refined or cultured or or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I think uh, for me in, in speaking to people like me, you know um, you know, trying to encourage people to, to take a different posture because I mean, you can either um, sort of react against that feeling of being out of control or being asked Mm -hmm. to, you know, to develop that skill of finding (laughs) handles to, to hold on to. And it's actually a tragedy. I think that um that's there are so many of us that that haven't developed the the spiritual or emotional intelligence to realize that if we can't do that mm-hmm. in an environment like the ones that you named that there's actually a great loss mm-hmm. uh, for us yeah. Uh, yeah. and that yeah. we we are mm-hmm. we are actually depriving ourselves of experience something of the image of god you know right, in right. these other expressions in these other identities in these other ways of being Church worshiping, um, understanding the uh, the mm-hmm. movement of God's spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. and so if you ju- you know if we can just be a little more curious, if you can just you know um, learn to pay attention to that anxiety that wells up in you that this is outside of my I don't know this language yeah, yeah, I don't know yeah. this song I don't everybody's right. clapping and I don't know what to do if you can just get over that little anxiety about it and um and look for those and develop that skill that you talked about of looking for handles to hold on to in an environment that's foreign to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So much of the body of Christ opens up
2: uh, to you. Because
1: we we all get to God. We just get to God in different ways. And so there's got to be something in this, in this obscure hymn that I never heard of before. (laughs) There's got to be something that, that speaks to God and, and, you know, as a student, I would find myself just saying, okay, chalice hymnal was one thing because I was somewhat familiar with that. But mm-hmm. um, I was at a, a, a regional gathering recently where the uh, the praise team was a black group and the musicians were a black group. And then it came time to sing a communion hymn, One Bread, One Body. Well, the mm-hmm. black musicians didn't know that because that's in chalice hymnal. Right. And many of our black congregations don't necessarily use Chalice Hymnal, and, and mm-hmm. that particular hymn is not—it's not in some of the more ecumenical um, gatherings. But it was sort of interesting that they didn't know that song,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and most of the other people—you know, most—I'll say this: most of the white folks and maybe a few of the black folks, I knew it because I don't think I paid a lot of attention to Chalice Hymnal until I pastored a predominantly white church, mm-hmm. and, and so I—I I had to. I had to, I think I brought some things to that space, but I also learned a lot. And, you know, I know, I know Chalice Hymnal like the back of my hand now, because I I led a people who loved that book. So I had to learn it and Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to embrace it and, and find things to love. That's why I was talking about finding handles to get to God. I may need some help here. I'm going to hold on, but you're getting to God this way. So let me see if I can go with you and get to God that same way.
0: It's a lot of liberation. There, mm-hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit and go back to something that you said uh, really early on about unity and our tolerance for disagreement, because I find this increasingly. Uh, I mean, I'm a lifelong disciple, so I've you know grown up in in disciple spaces and very much shaped by disciple theology and identity around unity being our mm-hmm. polar star, and uh, we've often, I think, confused unity for the absence of conflict. Mm-hmm. um and when we have conversations around um patriarchal white supremacy and the ways that it plays itself out in our churches uh it often leads to conflict it leads mm-hmm. to difficult conversations painful conversations um it, it you know um we've carefully the the over the um overarching Christian narrative that we've crafted in america um We've somehow convinced ourselves that that these topics are political and not central to the gospel,
2: right? Um, right.
0: And um, and the liberation of all people. And so um, I'm grateful for what you had to say about that, um, about unity and what that means, and your um, your identity and how how you've been called uh, and and had to lead your life has given you an increased uh, capacity for that because lots of us um, don't have the capacity for that. And I think it's especially true among local church pastors Mm -hmm. because uh, it is, you know, we're in relationship with people and we have to navigate that. Uh, We also have by professionalizing the ministry, we also have bills to pay and so yeah. if, we, if we if we alienate uh, yeah, enough yeah, people, yeah. we're out of a job and, and whatnot. So I just uh, would love to hear the wisdom that you've acquired, not only mm-hmm. in um, how your identity uh, gave you that increased tolerance for, for abiding conflict, but also how serving in the role that you do, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, part of being sitting in the seat that you do is that, you know, probably I'm sure somebody's always a little irritated with you about something. So uh I wonder how true. you how you've navigated that in your spirit because I think a lot of people I think a lot of uh leaders, whether you're a whether you're a pastor who's leading a church or whether you're in a workplace or whether you're in a community and these mm-hmm. things come up and you feel right. convicted to speak on this or right. that thing, but you also don't know how you're gonna abide
2: mm-hmm. the conflict
0: that's gonna arise from it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm you know, uh, I think, uh, we need to search for the courage and for the skills, uh, to move through Mm -hmm, that. So mm -hmm. I wonder what you can share from what you've gleaned about that.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: Well, the first thing to say about that is, is let's, let's take it from a, a church perspective and, and in the black church, um, you know, I, I grew up in a black church that was very active in terms of social justice in the community and, and my grandfather got you know i think when I, before i was born death threats and and mm-hmm. you know even members of his congregation were like like why are you partnering with a church in africa we're not african and he was just he was just that kind of uh, of person and and naming injustices you know the church speaking truth to power and the black church has always seen that as important and there's never been um, that some leaders from the National Council of Churches have, have recently started attending the um conference of uh national black churches. Mm. And um some of my colleagues who are heads of communion of, of other mainline denominations are like, oh my gosh, how can they just speak so boldly and critique,
3: <laughs> critique
1: mm. the political system uh so openly, you know, in their pulpits, I'd never be able to get away with it. And and that has been um it it is gospel work. It is God's work. And it's been the work of the black church to speak truth to power and to work for God's justice. And, and, you know, to remind ourselves, as Jesus said, the kingdom is already here, right? It's Mm -hmm. it's here. It's among us. It's not going to come with crazy little signs. We're the ones we've we've been waiting for. Um, Mm. And in, you know, I, I, my heart breaks every time I hear a young white pastor say to me, I'm, I'm with you. Um, or yeah, we're, how can I talk in the, about the poor people's campaign or mm-hmm. being welcomed to, um, welcoming to all and still keep my job mm-hmm. and, and the challenges, I think there are three issues that as much as we have wonderful language, right. To, I'm always saying, let's be the church. We say we are, we don't need a new identity statement. We're mm-hmm. a movement for wholeness in a fragmented world as part of the one body of Christ. We welcome all. Uh, to the Lord's table is God has welcomed us. We In Vision 2020, we, one of those priorities was to become an anti-racist church. That still um, really defines us in terms of who we are. But we have a spiritual dryness. Mm. We have biblical illiteracy. Mm-hmm. And we have a real cynicism. Spiritual mm. dryness in that we think the work of church, uh, too many of us, not all. You can never say all. We're no no ent- entity is a monolith. But I, I see a lot of congregations who are happy to have, um, they're going to do worship. They're going to have coffee hour. They might have a food pantry. They might uh, w- work in a, in a um, homeless shelter or have some kind of project where you're, you know, a mission project, right? We're right. going to take our kids to um, tornado ravaged communities and help them rebuild. Mm-hmm. What we're not going to take our kids to do is to lobby at their state capital mm-hmm. <laughs> for a right. living wage right. uh, for things that will change the system. We Climate will justice. repair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We will, we will do that charity. We will, we will do all that good stuff, but we don't see this, this other work of, of system of, mm-hmm. of addressing systems and not symptoms. We don't mm-hmm. see that as kingdom work. Theologically, I think we have to start um with a, more uh, enriching spiritual place that, and that's why I'm always talking about the limitless love of God. If Mm. God's love is limitless, if you believe all those big omni words that we learned as kids, God is omniscient, omnipresent, Mm -hmm. omnipotent. God is all in all. Jesus says without, uh, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Mm. Um, And and Jesus also says without me, unless you abide in me, right? You want, you're not going to be able to bear that fruit. Uh, So that spiritual dryness that we don't get close enough to really understanding God's commandment to love, God's very essence being love, and that none of us get to put limits on that. God Mm -hmm. being limitless means that the creature doesn't doesn't put a box around the creator. So that spiritual dryness and biblical literacy. One Mm -hmm. of the things I I have so appreciated about my dear brother, William Barber, Mm -hmm. is (laughs) word, 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 text, 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 text. Stays in it, yep stays in it scripturally grounded all along the way. And, and sadly, you know, one of the first things I started talking about as GMP was that prayer and Bible study, we have to build our spiritual formation is lacking. And so we don't know enough about what God has said to know what God is saying. Right. Uh, And if we don't do that work, we're going to see all this other stuff as political. And then Mm -hmm. we've become so cynical about institutions that when we see certain shifts in certain ways, We don't yet believe we're so focused on the human manifestation of this thing called the Christian Church Disciples of Christ that we're not focused on this being part of that one body of Christ that God is already empowered, that the Holy Spirit has already uh, come to to speak to and to empower and encourage. And with that spiritual dryness and biblical literacy and cynicism, Mm -hmm. then we see things only as human institutions would see it. Forgetting that we're the body of Christ. And mm. and I think that's where my experience as a Black person, because the church for me has always been the foundation for me to express why I must be free, because yeah. it's it's all tied up in m- the sanctity of God's creation. It's all mm-hmm. tied up in me as the Imago Dei. It's all for me tied up in God's limitless love that I want extended to me. And, and so I've got extended to you. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my big learnings as GMP has been working with, be it the LGBT plus community or the Asian community or the uh, Spanish speaking community immigrants, reminding myself that I'm not the only community
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. that's oppressed. And so when I go into spaces where I, I don't speak Spanish, I'm, I'm learning. Um, my daughter-in-law, her father is Argentine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, they're expecting a baby the end of October, my grandson is going to be bilingual. Mm. So so Gigi's learning Spanish before he gets (laughs) here, right? Uh, Not only for for my little grandson who's coming, but because my daughter-in-law is bilingual. I spend a lot of time with her family. We have Spanish-speaking congregations. It feels, you know, I'm like, oh, wow. I'm always trying to get people to step into my shoes. And there are spaces in the church where I've had to practice uh, stepping into other spaces. So I, I think that understanding of unity um, as the, the absence of conflict, we never solve problems unless we deal with the, is it James Baldwin who says um, not everything that's faced can be solved, but nothing can be solved until it's faced. Right. Um, and, and so if we could see what Stone and Campbell really intended was not that there never would be conflict, mm-hmm. but they knew that a separation or open conflict would damage the cause of Christ. It would damage our witness that we couldn't as followers of Jesus Christ, find a way to still live in some kind of engagement, even when we disagree. And Campbell Mm -hmm. and Stone disagreed. Lots of us, they (laughs) they, they disagreed and yet Mm -hmm. they, they weren't uh, advocating striking out on their own or, um, or, or doing things. I mean, even when Campbell refuses to speak against slavery because uh, he says the Bible doesn't speak against it. Um, <laughs> and yet his sister's an abolitionist, right? And mm-hmm. Stone is speaking. They never part ways in an openly acrimonious way, because for them, it's more important that people are able to see that part of the, the, the gift of the gospel is that we we can actually make community even when we don't agree on everything. We we don't have to destroy each other in in trying to uh, beat each other into submission to agree on everything. And, and so for disciples who choose to walk away from the table, mm. um, I, I think that's that's you know we say that's not disciple. That's not disciple. Walking away is not disciple. Um, you have the ability in our tradition to disagree and be there in your congregation and do what you want to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What's not a part of our tradition is to tear each other down. Mm-hmm. And I think we're so afraid that we'll tear each other down that we just don't even want to go there. And so we don't make decisions and things don't move because the moment something we start to disagree, we think, oh, we got to back up because not every, we, we see perfect agree unanimity as some sign of holy unity. And that's just, that's not even realistic. So I right. don't know if that, any of that made sense, but uh, there's that- a
0: lot there that i yeah, that <laughs> does. Uh, it does. I mean, I, I think practically, um, what you were saying is that it, uh, at the beginning about, you know, so many young pastors wondering how can I talk about this and the,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, the fear of reprisal and repercussions that come from that and the pushback. And it, I mean, we can't, I mean, you can't minimize that. I mean,
2: Oh, you know, yeah, it's real, it's real.
0: William Barber was my, of course, my my supervisor yeah, yeah, in that yeah. field education <laughs> experience. And uh, I remember at at 24 saying to him, you know, I feel like if if I do ministry the way you're teaching me to do it, that I'll get fired. And, and he said, well, you know, his answer to that was, well, you know, Isaiah is a long book, but Amos is a short one. <laughs> 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 and, and so, uh, you know, I learned... From him that um that if you if you stand on the biblical story if you um if you stand on um a, mm-hmm. a, a vibrant spirituality uh, that ultimately uh you can endure um mm-hmm. the the blowback from it and that you know i with with people that I talk to who want to push back about the ways that I'm pushing them, I say to them now if you went to your cardiologist. And you were having like shooting pain down your left arm and high blood pressure
2: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, all of these symptoms, and they just sent you home. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be medical malpractice,
1: right? Right.
0: Um, so for me to look around at, uh, for me to to hold up the scriptural narrative, to hold up the yeah. movement of God, mm-hmm. and see the you know see the world that we're living in, and not bring that into relief would be. Theological malpractice,
2: malpractice right.
0: right. You know, so yeah. I, so we have to, we have to move in, uh, in those spaces. And I think, I do think the more we, um, we lean into that, you know, the more we, uh, give people opportunities
1: yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: to to grow. And I mean, right. you know, yeah. I mean, if someone chooses to walk away from the table, a lot of times there's not anything you can do about that. But there are also people who are walking away from the table because they don't, there's, they see spiritual dryness, and yeah, they see yeah, they, the yeah. biblical uh, narrative is not coming alive for them. Right, and right. So, for as many people as might be, you know, hurt or offended or move away, there are that many more who are in search of liberation.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and,
0: um, and
1: we we have a lot of those disciples who, you know, we're we're, we're hoping to um, provide some space for those these kinds of testimonies throughout the worship at general assembly to hear from disciples like why did you choose this right like what mm-hmm. what brought you to, to this tradition to this part of the body of christ and um, for all the people who um are are who critique sort of a, a holy boldness around around issues of justice um there are people who are hungry and thirsting
2: mm-hmm.
1: for for the church to speak and for the church to, be bold enough and courageous enough to embrace whoever they are, uh, and wherever they've come from. Uh, and, and I think those things are, 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 true. And, and I really, I stand by this, um, Christendom, Christianity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: American Christianity, and it is is, it's just, there's spiritual dryness, there's yeah. biblical literacy. And until we fix those problems, and that we can see that what we're talking about really is the move of God, and it's it, it's the work uh, that Jesus has given us to do. It is the good news. We, we can't bear witness to it uh, unless we're we're living into this fullness of, mm-hmm. of love and inclusion and, and justice um, that would make us uncomfortable with with systems where where people don't have enough to eat or can't pay mm-hmm. to have decent housing and have it. I mean, it's it's, it it boggles the mind. And I have to remember that because of who I am, these battles have been mine Mm -hmm. lifelong. And, and so it's, it's real for me. And for some people, it's still so far apart from their own experience that it's hard for people to see it. It's just like all this conversation about January 6th. It's Mm -hmm. like, so how, how, how do you not, you know, and there's, there's a pathology that, that exists in American society, (laughs) right? There's a a pathology that has a lot to do with this straight white maleness Mm -hmm. uh, that you're talking about, um, that, that, uh, impacts the way we see a lot of things and Mm -hmm. the way that we can be led astray to, to not only believe a a big lie, but to, um, just see meanness and, Mm -hmm. um, the kinds of laws that are being passed across the country that are so dehumanizing and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and affect human lives in ways that, that people aren't stopping to pay. Like what does it take for you to, to be against a, a, a weapon that is designed to literally eviscerate human flesh?
2: Yeah.
1: How, how far do it,
0: where's the line? Yeah.
1: Wh- where's the line? Like I can't get you to see that. And mm-hmm. this you're, We're a nation for God and all this Mm -hmm, good stuff. mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm.
0: So
1: it's, it's, and that's why that's all the more reason why we have to have this spiritual depth and take care of ourselves spiritually because people who do this work, uh, not only your employment, but your very soul. This is, this is this, you know, when I first, I had to, when I read your book, I had to put it down after a while. Mm. I had to put it down after a while because the narrative, what you're talking about is so familiar to me. And it's like, there's this heaviness that, yeah. that, that, that it's like, it, it's not only real, but it it's, I'm convinced that I'm one of those who's called into the, into the battle mm. uh, to, to, to be in solidarity with mm. you and others. Uh, it, it's your work to do straight white males. There's work that they have to do. Yeah. Um, but it's also um, important that that others of us remain engaged, even though there's real fatigue in it. So this work of unity is not easy. It's not kumbaya all the time. Right, uh, and, and it's hard work to respect one another. But it, for me, it all starts with this spiritual grounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're not—we're just not even going to have the spiritual eyes to see what we need to see if we don't have that. We become a club. We could be any mm-hmm. other five hundred one c three that has some strategic objectives and some key projects, some pet mm-hmm. projects.
0: Want to do good, yet, yeah.
1: Yeah, we want to do good. But if we're church, we're followers of Christ. We got to know why. We got to. Mm-hmm. We got to reflect our our model. We got. To understand that spiritually. So I that that for me is just at at the heart of of why we can't really live into unity until we have greater spiritual depth and, and maturity to do so.
0: That uh, the, that piece of the spiritual depth, biblical literacy, knowing the scriptural story, um I think, you know, that the biblical illiteracy I think has paved the way for so much of what um now folks can be convinced um, you know, that that there is such a thing as Christian nationalism, right, that, there's, right, right. that there is no, you know, there is no uh, incongruity there. And uh, if you if you don't know the, the biblical narrative and if you don't know, actually, not just the narrative itself, but what's underneath it, you know, mm-hmm, if you don't mm-hmm. really um, right. um, grapple with it, then
2: yeah.
0: uh, it's easy to be mm-hmm. um, to become to be lied to. You know, yeah, to yeah. to convince yourself of certain myths, and, and-,
1: and grappling is really important—the freedom to grapple and and mm-hmm. to let ourselves know that this isn't a dogmatic experience that we're we're inviting people to. That it's it's about honest grappling and, and wrestling. Um, and dealing with the the difficulties and the complexities. And I think that, and as disciples, right? That's one of the beautiful things. People we, of the book, yeah. People of the book, and, and, yeah. and not only people of the book, but we believe everybody has access to that book. And That's the Holy right. Spirit empowers everybody uh, to deal with that. And the more, my experience um, as a pastor has been that the more I open people up into space that lets them know it's okay to grapple and wrestle and ask mm-hmm. questions uh, that they grow, and I remember mm-hmm. when my congregation was going through the process of um, discerning uh, whether or not to become open and affirming, and we did. We spent all of Lent and in, and uh, in just deep Bible study of what people call the clobber passages, right? Uh
2: huh. Uh
1: huh. And and just really opening up those texts to see, okay. Different uh, translations have, you know, the word homosexual is like a 1940s development. It's, it's certainly <laughs> right. not an ancient uh, concept or vocabulary. And here's what, here's the real context for this. And this is how this has been misused or interpreted. And, and here, let's look at all these other ways in which we, we understand the totality of the gospel and, and of God's inclusion. Um, and people, you know, older white people who were like, wow, I've always heard people talk about this being, this is, the, oh, I get it. I understand. I did some Q&A sermons that were really more lectures and allowed people to engage. We did this, you know, eight-week Bible study, and then before they took a vote, I did a whole sermon series where anybody could ask questions. And at the end of the day, I think what happened was they got some spiritual hmm. uh They thought you could have been, oh, yeah, let's be open and affirming because my granddaughter is gay and I want to support her. It's another thing to say, because God loves you and God's love is limitless. And I just simply believe that nothing uh, can separate any of us from the love of God. I must affirm your humanity and therefore I must affirm your uh, inclusion in in any community of which I'm a part uh, so to get there from a theological perspective leads us to the action that's justice yes. in the streets and it leads us uh to the policy and it leads us to all the other things and it makes for stronger christians it does it makes for stronger christians
0: yeah i've had people um say to me well you know it really you really sounded like you were talking specifically about this or that politician or this or that issue and what i but i What I know is that I never, I've never, I never said Mm -hmm. a particular politician's name in that sermon. I never addressed any particular, you know, house bill, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to them, "No, you just heard scripture, yeah, and you made the connection between um, what you heard Jesus saying or what you heard in this or that Hebrew Bible narrative, Mm -hmm. um, what you identified in the pathology of King Herod. You made that connection (laughs) between." what's in the scripture and what you see happening in the world around you. And if you read it carefully,
2: mm-hmm. which,
0: and this moment is both, I think in this particular moment we're living in, it's both blessing and curse mm-hmm. because, um, the world that we're living in, in this moment, particularly in, in America, um, so closely resembles, um, uh, in many ways, um, the narrative or that the culture against which the backdrop against which the scriptural story unfolds um, that it puts the Bible, it makes the Bible very current, Mm
2: -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which uh,
0: I think like you were alluding to does bring a lot of fatigue uh, Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, because I think many of us who preach weekly, you know, are, are, are so uh, actually fatigued from how current, the scripture we're unpacking is um, and how many times we have to um, rise and address mm-hmm. a mass shooting or oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the mur- under the murder of uh, of a black man at the hands of law enforcement or
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: whatever um, particular thing has uh, grabbed us. Uh, there is a certain
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, fatigue, but the same, the same scripture that calls us to action also calls us back to the source.
2: Right.
0: Um and calls us back to um the, the presence of God, the promises right. of God,
2: right, and, right. Uh, right.
0: that that keep us, you know, mm-hmm. uh living in the tension.
2: Uh, Amen. So Amen. To speak. Amen.
0: Yeah. Amen. Terry, I could talk all day. I I wonder <laughs> I, I wonder if there if there are other things that uh that you want to talk about anything else you wanted to Address, uh. you
1: know, I, I, well, I, I just, I'm grateful for this chance to talk, and I just want to encourage you and affirm you in the work that you're doing. You know, lots of spaces that, that that I'm in, I know that there are, you know, there are white denominational leaders who are saying mm-hmm. the white church is going to have to address this. The white church mm-hmm. uh, is going to have to 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 speak up, and and for you to invite um, straight white males into dialogue. Um, with other people and recognizing the role that that you play in in all this. And we all have a role to to play right in our liberation, but um, there's so much work uh, to be done. And I just want to thank you for your commitment Mm -hmm. um, to to these issues and for, for allowing me space where I could, um, where I could speak these things. I I try to say a lot of this a lot of times, and Mm -hmm. I I see people like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, but at the, at the heart of it, I think is hopefully, I I hope there is some gratitude and appreciation for just truth telling, and yeah. I'm a big believer in truth telling, and certainly with love and grace and all those things. But uh, we're not going to get to where Jesus wants us to get uh, unless we tell the truth and we embrace uh, all of of uh, God's creation and and be honest and give each other the freedom and uh, to be who we need to be. Uh, my friend, Julia Middleton, who's a, a British consultant, she wrote a book called Cultural Intelligence several years ago, and she has an organization called Common Purpose. And what she tries to do is bring uh, people in business from, you know, lots of different cultures around the world. One of my favorite sayings of hers is, you are not the benchmark of all people. Mm. <laughs> and um w- and she, because she's british and and she's a white woman and i'm you know an american black woman and whenever she's in the states we make a point to talk and she's become a different kind of conversation partner cuz mm-hmm. i have to explain the United States and all of that complexity to her as to why I find her work fascinating. She's trying to help people to recognize no matter where you land, there's difference all around you. Mm -hmm. And so you're not the benchmark in any scenario. And Mm -hmm. so what you have to do in order to learn to flourish with other human beings is to both recognize the difference and respect it so that you can then move towards having meaningful interactions, be that for business. And, and you know, I, I try to take her concepts and I've done workshops to help people understand um, that this thing of difference is bigger than even race. There's so many mm-hmm. elements and dimensions of difference um, that if we, we quit getting hung up on the fact that there's one definition of what's right and normal and, and powerful um, that none of us is the benchmark for all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, I would just leave, leave that there, that this thing is so big and it, it's, it's the work of Christ and we've just gotta, we gotta commit to it in, in new ways. Or I fear there will be a generation for whom the gospel becomes irrelevant. If we're, if we don't live into right. it and, cl- and reclaim it, uh, I want my grandson, uh, to still know and, and see the power of God at work in society And for him, when he's of age, uh, to still feel that there's something relevant to say, I'm a follower of Jesus.
0: Yeah. And that's, you know, what you said about telling the truth and um, the conversations that I'm trying to have and really trying to turn around and speak to to people like me. um, And the pursuit of publishing the book was about trying to speak to men like me who were looking around and realizing that there was work for us to do Mm -hmm. um but not sure how to hold on to their personhood or hold on to their identity or or to have some redemptive way of thinking about themselves uh, and the work that there is to be done um but facing you know that the truth you know facing the truth is is so liberating i mean that's i think what um what Jesus invites us to, um, is to see ourselves hold up a mirror Mm -hmm. and see ourselves, um, uh, in all of our brokenness and in all of our belovedness, Mm -hmm. um, and, um, to, to let go of that, uh, feeling like we have to be the benchmark, right? Mm -hmm, We have mm -hmm. to be the benchmark of all people, but, um, that we can just uh, find ways to be who we are without having to ascribe to a certain norm about what it means right. to be straight, what it means to be white, what it means right. to be a man. Right, you know, right,
2: right.
0: To live into the, whatever, whoever God has called us to be and find the fullness of that. Amen. Be the most Amen. faithful version of that. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Well thank you again for your time and uh uh we uh we may have to have this conversation again. There's a lot yeah, more yeah, there's I- a lot more to talk about.
1: Well, blessings, and thank you so much for having me. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation.
0: Terry joined me for that conversation just before she jetted off to Geneva to meet with the World Council of Churches and then back to D.C. for the Poor People's Campaign mass gathering. So I'm really thankful she carved out some time to talk. Uh, I thought about that conversation for a long time. I believe you will do the same. Uh, And so I came away thinking, A, uh, my denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, is in amazing hands. And B, what does it mean for us to lead with courage and faithfulness in whatever place we find ourselves? Uh, I wonder if it had you thinking about the places where you might feel called to speak but also feeling deeply aware of the consequences and wondering what is required to move to a place of leading with conviction and compassion. I think all of us find ourselves in those places, whether they're in a church or in a workplace or in a business or in our neighborhoods or in our friendships. Next week, I want to dig a little deeper with a pastor that I admire a great deal who's leading from a place of vision and with deep courage, the Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes author and pastor at Galileo Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Let's hear a preview.
3: You know, my original vision around Galileo Church was the first problem I was trying to address with this experiment on the spiritual but not religious frontier was the problem of um, the decline of of, uh, participation by millennials in the Mm -hmm. traditional church. That's actually where I was aiming. I was saying, look, young people um are not repopulating our pews or our committees all the committees that are required by our constitution and uh and they're not filling our our congregational coffers um and that's the problem i started working on it's it's in studying by frankly just getting to know a bunch of millennials um and how wonderful how smart and kind and generous and funny and thoughtful they were about so many things they just weren't doing any of those things in our traditional Church settings. Um, It's from them that I learned that uh, even if they were straight cisgender people, they loved people who weren't. They loved Mm -hmm. people who were all over the queer rainbow, and they were no longer willing to be part of any institution where their college roommate or their cousin or their best friend or their moms wouldn't be welcome. They were not willing to bifurcate their own identity. Mm. to say well i go to church here where you wouldn't be welcome but i really do love you over here in this other setting so it was for the sake of the integrity of this next generation (laughs) that
2: Mm. i
3: began to say okay then then let's just go for that then let's Mm -hmm. just be a place where everyone can bring their whole self
0: straight white mail is recorded at arbor ridge studios in chapel hill north carolina and produced by jeff crawford you can learn more about the studio at arborridgestudios.com music in this episode is by josh kimbrough available on all streaming platforms you can find me at chris where you can listen to past interviews buy my book or inquire about workshops or speaking engagements as well remember to rate and review this podcast on the platform of your choice it really does help thanks for listening